We are Vintage City Church based out of Fort Collins, Colorado. Welcome to our podcast. As a family, we are currently studying the Book of Romans. If you'd like to watch the live video of this teaching, head over to VintageCityChurch.com. We are so glad you are here. Let's get started with today's teaching. All right. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Romans chapter 12. I want to pick us back up in our study of chapter 12. I want to take a look at verses 9 through 21. I'm not completely sure how far we're going to get, um, but we'll get where we get, and then we'll follow it up next week. As we start this new year, I think where we're at, I always love when the Holy Spirit does these things that only he can do. You land in a pocket that's so perfect for where you're at in life. This particular passage in 12, I think, is uniquely important and feels really appropriate. What Paul's teaching us is a grid or a perspective that we are to live from as the people of God. There are some who have, we were in, one of our team members and teaching team was, had reminded me that something I had forgotten, and that is that this is commonly referred to as Paul's Beatitudes. And if you think about the Beatitudes, where Jesus is teaching kind of just basics, very, very overarching ideas of how to live, Paul's going to dig in and go a little bit more precise and a little more exact, and he's dealing with attitudes and behaviors. He's coaching the people of God on how to handle themselves within the communities God's placed them in. So for us, it's an incredibly appropriate and applicable teaching. Guidelines for the attitudes and values that are to be held in our hearts and that we are to choose to live into. The struggle that I have with that is at times, we like the idea of holding values in our hearts. We don't really love when people tell us behaviorally what to do. How many would agree that there's this wild independent streak within you? It's called a sin nature. It's not, called an, it's, it's not an independent streak. It's a sin nature. It's this thing that, we, if you remember and you were with us back to our study of Jude, one of the central elements that Jude is dealing with is this deep desire to live ungoverned. That that's hardwired into us, to reject government. Now, I'm not talking about Congress and the U.S. I'm talking about this headship of heaven over us. So what Paul's doing here in Romans is he's teaching this young believing culture how to align with the heart of God in their daily lives. And so for us, I want us to approach this with that mindset. We're learning how to align our daily lives with the heart of God. In December, we stepped into this in verse 9 where Paul says, don't just pretend that you love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong. Stand on the side of good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. He gives us this incredible challenge. I don't know about you. How many felt deeply challenged by this passage? 
that don't, nobody else besides me? Cool. I just get a mirror, it'd be a lot easier. But there's nature in us to kind of fake love, to act like we love people, to say the right things. How many have ever done that where you're like, oh, bless you, brother? Well, how many have ever asked somebody, hey, how are you doing, when you don't really care? You're like, I know it's the right thing to say. That is what Paul's talking about, is this, this pretense, this fakeness. He's challenging us to be willing to have the courage to live authentic. The problem with that is most of us take that mindset and go, if I'm going to be authentic, I can't be anything that I'm not. And see, that's not what Paul's saying at all. He's saying, don't pretend to love others, really love them. In other words, you don't get the right to fake it and you don't get the right to not love. So we're boxed into a corner by what Paul teaches here. We cannot fake it and we have to choose it. I worked for Kent Hummel for a long time. He was senior pastor at Good Shepherd Church in Loveland, and he used to say this phrase to me all the time, motion creates emotion. Motion creates emotion. What does that mean? Choose the right behavior, and lo and behold, your emotions will show up. You begin to want what you didn't want because you chose the right behavior. This is what Paul's talking about here. In addition, he adds that we are supposed to be a people that adopt a mindset where we refuse to partner with hurting others. It's what he means when he says, hate what is wrong. The root in the Greek there is to hate what causes pain in others. It is specifically dealing with relational hurt, with the, the, uh, the ability that we have to attack others, to, to let things come out of the inside of us. Sometimes, just a thought, it usually is our mouth, but we let things come out that are hurtful. Paul's statement here is, we are to abhor that, to hate it, to have this visceral reaction where our statement towards it is, it's never gonna be named in me. How many would like to aspire to that? How many would say you fail? Agreed, I'm with you, president of the club. He says, stand on the side of good, love each other with genuine affection. He just talks about this beautiful idea where he couples these two words, Philadelphia's, Philadelphios in the Greek, which is to have this genuine brotherly affection. And then he says to, to take delight in honoring, and the word honoring means to prefer others. It means have a lot of fun putting other people first. I'll remind us of, of one of John Maxwell's statements that I love, with one small exception, the world is comprised of others. Let that sink in. With one small exception, the world is comprised of others. So this is Paul's challenge just in, in verse nine, and he goes on, he's gonna lead us through a section that I would say is kind of a how believers should live guide. And I want to remind us of the intent or the tenor in this passage. The mood of the passage is, is what a, a proper Greek scholar would call it. Paul is not asking. He's not suggesting. These are in imperative form in the Greek, which means they are to be taken as commands. Okay. So often we will listen to teaching. We will read the scriptures 
and we kind of approach it like it's suggesting something in us. That is not what this is doing. Paul's statement is, if you follow Jesus, this is how you are to live. They're mandates. I think we have to have the courage as we approach this pocket to give it the teeth it's intended to have, which means if it encounters something in us that is contrary to us, we ahead of time decide, I'm going to change, I'm going to repent, I'm going to line up with what it says. That's the only way to read this biblically. It's a very Hebrew idea. The Hebrew idea of listening to something actually carries with it a shaping of your attitude so that you've prepared to obey what you hear. Where we have a very Greco-Roman mindset, where we approach teaching when people share things with us and we think about it, we ponder it with the question of, I don't know, let's see if it checks out. I think that's wonderful to apply to me. You can do that. I'll see if it checks out. It's good. But when it comes to the scriptures, we can't do that. We have to have an understanding that this book has teeth that we've allowed, we've invited, because we believe it is capable of shaping us and changing us. So with that as our mindset, we jump into this. Now, during our short break we took during the holidays, I shared a teaching on video Some of you probably saw it. Some of you were probably like me and were like, no way, I'm taking this day off. This is awesome. So I'm going to recap it in case we missed it. Because what I was highlighting was in the next verse, Paul actually, I think, gives us a grid for how to approach the future. And since we're in January and we're in this idea of recalibrating and re-upping and restarting, it's just an incredible idea when he says it this way, be glad for all God is planning for you. Be glad for all God is planning for you. How many have approached the coming year with that mindset? Have, how many have really, how many are, are like me and you wake up in the middle of the night thinking about things that shouldn't rob your sleep, but you do anyway? You obsess about them. You wonder, is it going to work out? How many in the last year and a half have looked at your stock market account and wondered if it's going to be okay? Okay, so Paul makes a statement here that's so interesting because it has nothing to do with the circumstances of our lives. It has to do with him. He said, I want you to be glad for all God is planning for you. And you're like, I don't know what God's planning for me. That's just it. Paul's statement is, you need to trust in the character of who he is and know every thought he has towards you is perfect, it's good, it's pleasing. And so you just learn to trust that and be glad for it. And, we, and I just shared this simple thought. Every time you encounter fear in your life, Paul's admonition is choose joy instead. Choose joy over fear. You're like, yeah, but that's kind of like sweeping fear under the rug. No, it's sweeping it under the blood, maybe. That when we encounter fear, we just own it. We face it. We look at it go, look, this is what I'm afraid of. This is what I'm concerned about. This is what I can't control. This is what's beyond my understanding. Lord, I give it to you, and I'm just going to choose joy. How do I do that? 
only happens if you trust him. It's the only way it works. Paul will go on and says, be patient in trouble. Huh? Be patient in trouble. The word patient here just means this idea of relaxing, calm. Wait, you want me to be calm in the midst of trouble? Yeah. Why? Because you trust him. This is Paul teaching us how to walk through everyday life. This isn't just existential stuff. This is the stuff he wants us to learn how to do today. When you get a bill in the mail tomorrow that you didn't know about, his answer is stay calm in the midst of chaos. Just give it to the Lord. Could I advise something? There's a story Pastor Gary used to teach a lot when, we were, when I was growing up under his... Uh, in, under his leadership, and he would talk about King Hezekiah. And when Sennacherib will come, and Sennacherib comes and aligns himself against King Hezekiah, and he says to King Hezekiah, sends him a letter, basically says, I'm going to wipe you off the face of the earth, and there's nothing you can do about it. And I love Hezekiah's movement. Hezekiah's movement is he takes the letter, and he takes it into the temple, and he takes it to the altar, and he lays it out in front of the Lord. It says, oh Lord, take note of their threats. What happens if we learn to be a people that in the midst of fear, in the midst of trouble, we just learn how to write all that stuff out and lay it in front of him? Do the actual exercise, I'm writing it out. I'm writing what I'm terrified about. I'm writing what the enemy's threatening. I'm writing what I'm afraid of. I'm writing all the things that are going on. And Lord, I'm laying them in front of you, and I'm just going to say it this way. Lord, please take note. I give it to you. And then you walk away and step back into this joy and this calm that he's called us to walk in. And I love Paul's third statement, always be prayerful. It feels so Christian to say it always be prayerful. And we kind of read it like that, like, yeah, I know, you should always be prayerful. And then the first thing we do when something happens is we go run to somebody else and tell them about it. Or we try to figure it out. And we lay, we lay awake at night, obsessing over things, instead of just learning how to live with an upturned face, which means my life is going to be lived in constant dialogue with him. No matter what I'm going through, I'm just going to bring it to him. And by doing that, we choose what is influencing us. Paul's suggestion is let heaven influence you. Let heaven have the last say. Let heaven have the first say. Quit trying to figure it out on your own. Think about this next year going into it. If you're like, hey, I'm just going to grab those three ideas. Choose joy over fear. Choose calm and chaos. Choose what influences you. I'm going to live with that grid. I'm going to be so calm and so mellow. <laughs> Nothing's going to freak me out. What happens if that's actually the heart of the king? How many parents would get really excited if your kids were wondering every day if dinner was going to happen? How annoyed would you be if every day at 4 o'clock your kids were texting you or calling you, are we going to eat today? Is there going to be food? 
At some point, you would want to say something akin to this. Hey, I feel like for the last 10 years, the track record has proven you're going to eat. I look at you, you're not malnourished, so shut up. (laughs) Perhaps the Lord's a little kinder, but feels the same, which the answer is, when have I not taken care of you? When have I not seen you through? When have I not helped you overcome? When have I not met you in your difficulty? At what point do you begin to trust me? I pray a prayer regularly, and it goes like this. Hey, Lord, I'm freaking out over this. It's not your fault. It's my fault. I don't trust you even though you're trustworthy. I'm sorry. And sometimes just saying it, you're like, mm, that's totally right. And I feel like he's, he's just quietly going, I know. When we were doing this building project, I was terrified. Just at the level and the magnitude of knowing, hey, the Lord called us into this. Man, I sure hope the Lord called us into this. What if I'm crazy? I think I might be crazy. I'm pretty sure everybody thinks I'm crazy. What if I am? And this is the moment where it goes off the rails and blah, 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 blah. So I brought it to the Lord like a hundred days in a row. And one morning, well into that journey, He made a statement to me that kind of stopped me. And I went, huh. He went, you know, you could choose to go through this differently. He said, you could choose to believe what I said. I went, huh. (laughs) See, because he always leaves the choice to us. He will not choose faith for you. He will not choose joy for you. He will not choose what influences you. You have to do that. That's what Paul's getting at in this passage. In the face of what could cause fear, choose to be glad. In the presence of what should bring panic, choose to be patient. Just relax. Trust God's got got an answer. In everything you face, just choose to pray. Paul goes on and says, when God's children are in need, be the one to help them out and get into the habit of inviting guests home for dinner or if they need lodging for the night. I'm gonna read that again in case we missed it. When God's children are in need, be the one to help them out and get into the habit of inviting guests home for dinner or if they need lodging for the night. Let me read it again, just make sure we caught it. I'll paraphrase it. When God's children are in need, pray for them and tell them you hope it works out and get into the habit of sending them to the Best Western. You get where I'm going with this? Paul's digging at something that I think probably terrifies most of us. It's this living life open and vulnerable. He's talking about God's children. So who are God's children? In the Greek, the phrase reads, contributing to the needs of the saints. So Paul uses a word here, koinonia, 
It's aimed at fellowship or gathering of the saints. The word for needs means what is necessary or dutiful. And the word for saints means holy ones. So if I put all this together, Paul's talking about joining in the gatherings or business of the people of God and not just spectating. He's talking about having an attitude to contribute. It's not just dealing with finance. It's not just dealing with lodging. It's actually dealing with embedding ourselves into culture. How many have ever noticed in yourself the nature to spectate and not step into things and engage them? It's part of our sin nature. Proverbs says a recluse is self-indulgent. When we pull away, that the root of that is selfishness. When we disconnect. So he's calling for an attitude in us to engage and to join in what's going on. There's two aspects that come to mind as to why he would call us to this. Number one, it's the way of the kingdom to contribute. Everyone has value and purpose, and we're called to contribute what we can. Everyone has value and purpose. If you, for any reason, have bought into a lie that you have nothing to contribute, you have bought into a lie. Which one of us as parents would look at our children and say, you have value, you on the other hand, I can't figure out why, you're exi- why you exist. No, it's anathema for all of us. We're like, we would never say that. That'd be awful. So why would we assume our heavenly father would view us any differently? Why would we assume he would ever consider us as anything less than a contributing full-fledged member of the home? The second reason why I think Paul will call us to engage and to join in what's going on is it's the way of Jesus to see others as those we serve not as those who can serve us. And see, spectating makes this very quiet statement, you're here to serve me. You're here to entertain me. I understand what gets in the way of us engaging and joining. Oftentimes, it's our own fear. It's our own insecurity. Sometimes it's an attitude issue. There's a plethora of reasons. I'm just saying Paul's statement here calls it out and says it can't be what happens. The second portion of this verse reads, in the Greek, it reads practicing hospitality. So it's, it's an interesting shift. The first portion of this passage was directly aimed at the people of God that we worship with. But the second is aimed at strangers. And if we don't understand that difference, we could view this as, oh, it just deals with the way I'm supposed to handle myself in church. No, it's actually, it actually deals with how we're supposed to handle ourselves in life. This first word, practicing, carries the implication of running after someone to invite them into your home or to have the opportunity to dispense kindness. Running after someone. Can you imagine if you're chasing somebody down the street saying, I just want to be hospitable? I don't think Paul's calling for something quite that preposterous. What he's calling for is an attitude of eagerness to where we're actually excited for those opportunities, not trying to shun them. 
And it's impossible to read and study these verses without realizing within this, there's a calling to generosity and the sharing of our lives with those we encounter that are in need. In the New Living Translation, it does a really good job of putting emphasis on this by saying, get into the habit, because it's a regular behavior that Paul's calling for. Not a greeting card moment. What's a greeting card moment? It's the moment you do something really kind and really wonderful, and it makes you feel great for a long time until that wears off, and then you have to do another greeting card moment. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about a lifestyle, an attitude that we live with. What happens if we just predetermine, I'm going to live this way, and when the opportunities come to me, I'm going to meet them with joy. I'm not going to shame myself if I'm not in a spot. How many believe you're going to live very long without finding somebody you can meet and need in and minister to? The simplest answer for what Paul's teaching you and I is that he's calling us to choose to be a resource. Choose to be a resource in your lifestyle, in your attitude. Wake up every day and say, I am here to be a resource to those around me. When you walk into a gathering, I am here to be a resource. I'm here to be an asset. I'm here to give, not to get. What happens if we wake up every day in our homes that way? I hop out of bed and my first thought is I'm here to be a resource. I'm here to be an asset. Guys, I think we're bad at this. It's said of Jesus that he did not come to be served, but he came to serve and give his life away. So often in us as men, it's hardwired that we wake up to be served. Could I suggest that's part of our sin nature? Could I suggest that as parents, we often treat our children that way? We have this hierarchical method that says, you're here to serve me. I brought you into the world, I can take you out. But Paul's statement here is that we are to have an attitude unilaterally to everywhere, everyone we meet. I was put on this world to be a resource for you. I'm breathing today to be a resource. And it changes the way we live. He's addressing both the attitude towards generosity and the actionable behavior we are to have. And if we really understand God's economy, we're going to take advantage of every opportunity we have to contribute to what he's doing. Because when we do it, it invites something into our lives. The man who lends to God, the man who lends to the one in need lends to God, and God will not allow himself to be held in debt by any man. You see, generosity is a kingdom discipline that pulls you and I out of our natural, sin-given mindset of scarcity. Scarcity says, I have what I have. If I give it away, I won't have any more. Generosity says, I've been entrusted to be a conduit, and the more I give, the more I get. That's all we have time for. Let's stand. That was half page of five. <laughs> that time went quick. Thank you for your time with us. If you enjoyed this teaching, we would love to invite you to join us at a live gathering. We are located at 1501 Academy Court in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about Vintage City Church, including our gathering times, 
previous teachings and how to become a part of our family. Visit us today at VintageCityChurch.com and be sure to connect with us on social media.